in meditation, can you have that experience where you forget your own existence for a period of time? It's actually really beautiful because what happens is we remember our own existence. It's not that we forget, we remember. But we remember the truth of who we are. See, most of us are moving through the world, and if we think about our existence, we think, okay, this is my body, and yeah, that's my toe where I got hurt, and this is that other problem that I'm having physically, and okay, this is my job, and that's my family, and these are my challenges, and oh yeah, that's what I have to do, that's my to-do list, and these are the people who I like, and these are the people I don't like, and this is my story, and these are my, these are my goals, and these are my fears, and this is my history, and these are my issues. And like most of us think about that as our existence. So yeah, absolutely, we want to forget that. Meditation is not meditating on my to-do list or meditating on which people I like or don't like or, you know, who's treating me with respect and who's not and what went wrong that day. But the truth is that that all actually isn't the truth of my existence. The truth of my existence is infinite. It's boundless, it's soul, it's spirit, it's divinity. So that's why we use terms like self-realization and God-realization interchangeably. I mean, it's amazing because you would think on the one hand, they're the two absolute opposite ends of the spectrum. Myself over here, this limited, small, confused, neurotic, dying thing over here, <laughs> right? Flesh and blood and brain cells and his, that's over here. And then we've got God over here. How could realizing one possibly be synonymous with realizing the other? But we do, right? We talk about self-realization and we talk about God-realization. And most of them tend to be also synonymous with words like awakening, spiritual awakening, enlightenment. We've got a lot of different words that describe a very similar experience. And so when you meditate, it's the experience of remembering the truth of who you are, which is not bordered and boundaried by this. And so as we, as we meditate, we actually, as we are asking ourselves, who am I? or as we are breathing out and letting go that which we are not, we're dropping into a place 
You'll notice from the meditation we began with today that it's all about dropping into that place of infinity. Because that's the truth of who you are. My favorite way to understand it or think about it is imagine that you have a glass jar of air. And it's closed. It's a glass jar. It has a top. And it's full of air. It's yours. Now that glass jar breaks. Okay? Falls out of your hands. It breaks. What do you have? Hmm? Air, right? Okay. So one way of looking at that air is to say I have nothing. I used to have a glass jar of air. Now I don't even have that because my glass jar has broken. But another way to look at that is I now have everything. Because there used to be this border boundary of glass that separated my air from the rest of the air. In the jar, mine. Outside of the jar, not mine. Now that border broke, and there's just air. So when we meditate, it's actually about breaking that border. It's about dissolving, not a violent breaking, but it's a dissolving of that border. And it's a very, very beautiful experience because you then touch that place of realizing that the infinity within you as we drop into it. Well, if it's infinite, it can't possibly end at my waistline. Can't end here at my shoulders, right? Whether you're breathing in the abdomen, breathing in the heart, wherever we're breathing, if I'm exhaling into infinity. Well, infinity doesn't end where my body ends. I'm actually sinking into that, which is really infinite, which isn't, isn't bordered or boundaried by this physical body at all. We know that there are certain areas of the brain that are dedicated to what's called proprioception. And proprioception is understanding physically, literally, where I am in space. So proprioception is that which enables me to stand up from here and walk without falling over this, without knocking over the camera, without hitting the pillar on my way out, because I'm able to understand it. And most of us use visual cues for it, but we don't need visual cues. People who are blind are able to use auditory clues. We're able to use any of the senses in order to understand where we are. And what you notice is the minute the body moves even a little bit and readjusts itself, suddenly that border between you and the pillow you're sitting on or the mat you're sitting on, suddenly you notice that border again, 
much more in a way that you didn't before you adjusted the body. And what happens is in the adjustment of the body, that area of my brain becomes active again. And it's a very great part of the brain because if it didn't work, I would fall all over the place. I would have no idea how to navigate through the world. It also, just a little bit of neurology trivia, because I love it, you also end up losing a sense of, these are my limbs. So if you lose that part of the brain, people stop realizing that, for example, one side of the body is theirs. Now that's, that's a problem in life. So we need that part of the brain to be doing great in life. But we know that in meditation from brain scans, when they study the brain waves of expert meditators, monks, people who have been meditating a long time, that when they hit that peak experience of the meditation, the activity in the area of the brain dedicated to proprioception is very, very quiet. That literally the brain does not know where you end and the world begins. And the brain is matching and mirroring this experience we're having in our hearts of, oh, wow, I'm one with the world. Oh, wow, yes, there is an infinity into which I expand. And there's a, a mirroring in the brain. But when you move, while it doesn't change your heart or your spiritual experience, it does change the brain because suddenly that area gets all activated again. Which means it might take you another few moments to get back into the oneness with the world experience. And so, and once we have it, you can move through the world, eyes open walking. The enlightened masters, it's not just that they experience it with their eyes closed, it's every minute of the day. But for those of us who are a little bit more challenged in our experience of oneness with the world, a dissolving of where I end and the world begins. It helps to have that area of the brain very, very quiet and very still rather than very active trying to understand my place in space. So that's why even for a few minutes, as long as you can, just don't move. And if you have to move, move everything at once. So itch your nose, change the cross of your legs. I mean, do all of it at once and then become still again. And give yourself that opportunity again. Can you take the support of something from your back? Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. You could be sitting in a chair. You can do whatever you need. Because that part of your brain is not only getting signals from your rear end. It's not only a matter of what I'm sitting on 
that when I move, it's getting signals. It's, it's, the, it's the whole body. So whether I'm just on something or there's also something behind me, doesn't matter at all. In fact, sit wherever, however you can sit, actually with the most comfort and the most stillness. But you do want your back straight. So if you can, if you've got a hard back chair and it's better for you to have your feet on the ground than to sit cross-legged, no issue. If you like to do cross-legged but you want to have a wall behind you, no issue. Find whatever works for you. But then once you find it, try to see how many minutes you can string together without moving. The practice of yoga in terms of physical asanas, while they seem very physical, actually is a way not just of taking care of the body, but if done properly, it's actually a way to bring stillness in the mind. Because for a lot of us with overactive minds, if you sit down and you cross your legs and you're just going to meditate, the mind may be all over the place. But if in Trikonasana, you can have the mind, you know, it's interesting, I'll tell a personal story. So my, my yoga asana experience is in the Iyengar yoga tradition which is a very, very physical and precision-based form of asanas. So they're not going to say things to you like, stretch as much as you can. My teacher would say things like, do you need a personal invitation to straighten your leg? <laughs> straight means straight. Or he'd say things like, what part of straight don't you understand? So straight meant straight. And it, the, the instructions were always very specific and constant to the point where you literally couldn't do them all. So you're in Trikonasana and he's talking about an external rotation of the back upper leg and an internal rotation of the back inner leg and, an, and a lower leg, sorry, back lower leg and the, an external rotation of the front outer leg and an internal rotation of the lower, I mean, it's just internal here and external there and don't take those as instructions for your asana practice, but, and, <laughs> and pushing down on the toe here and the heel there and back to the point where the minute you did one instruction, you lost the other. And then you'd go back there and you lost this. And before I came to India, because I was studying before I came and was very, very blessed to have such an extraordinary, extraordinary teacher, it was wonderful. I was hot and sweaty and limber and strong. And after I came to India, and I started understanding really what yoga means as a, as a full practice of a spiritual oneness. My asana practice became much less. Still have 
a practice, but less. About 10 years after I'd been to India, we were fortunate enough to actually be able to bring him to our international yoga festival. And I was very excited and I went to his class. And after class, and of course I was out of shape and not nearly able to do things that I had been able to do. And after class, I said to him, I said, Manuso, it's amazing. I've just spent the last 90 minutes trying for the life of me to figure out my metatarsals from my metacarpals and my upper inner knee from my lower outer knee and my ankle from my heel and this. And yet, my mind feels like I've just come out of meditation. And he looked at me and his eyes got all light and excited and he said, aha, you got it. <laughs> and he said, I can't say it like this in class because people don't come for a meditative experience. They come to work the body. He said, but when, when BKS Iyengar developed a system and taught and trained us to teach like this, what he knew is that most people could not actually still their minds enough, but that if they could actually focus without giving up, without deciding, oh my God, my teacher is horrible. I have to find a new teacher because this is just way too much to think about in a yoga class. But if they actually could sincerely stay focused in the midst of attention to these instructions, the mind would become still. And so even if we're talking, and she also mentioned the breath and mantra, which I'll come to in a minute, but even if we're just looking at the asana practice, the sincerity of attention and focus in the asana you may think the knee is not very spiritual, but if the attention and the focus is in such a way, through that knee, you could actually enter that stream of union. When Patanjali gave eight limbs of yoga, we usually talk about them as sequential. Typically, if you hear us talk about the eight limbs, we're gonna talk about starting with the yamas and the niyamas and moving up to samadhi. But the truth is it doesn't have to be like that. And Patanjali never said, you must do these in sequential order. They're limbs of a tree. They're not steps of a ladder or rungs of a ladder. Each of the limbs has access directly to the trunk. Each of them is a pathway into union. And what that means is that even through the physical asanas, you actually have the potential to touch that. It's very difficult, which is why we bring in all of the other practices as well. But it's important as long as we're talking about it to realize that that 
is also a limb connected directly to the trunk of yoga. The breath, the breath is an extraordinary bridge, an extraordinary bridge for the mind spiritually. Whenever, wherever you are, that you want to reconnect and re-anchor, the breath is the best and fastest tool that I know. In a stressful situation, in a place where the mind is all over the place, being, being yelled at by a boss, in a, in a conflict situation with family members, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, wherever it may be. Anchor to the breath. Ground it, center it in the breath. As low in the abdomen as you can. Bring it down. And within a few seconds, the mind becomes quiet. So the breath is an extraordinary tool. And this is why most people who meditate will begin with a practice of pranayama. And then a practice of japa, which is chanting of a mantra. And then into meditation. When people ask me, you know, personally to suggest a, a practice, that's the sequence that I, I personally suggest. It's the sequence that I personally use. Because what ends up happening is the pranayama brings about great quietness within. The japa then really, 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 really centers you and it leads straight into the meditation. But what ends up happening eventually, the japa is the recitation of the mantra. What happens is you're doing the japa, you're watching the breath, you're doing the japa, you're watching the breath, and then suddenly there is no breath to be watched. I mean, obviously you're still breathing, but it, it no longer becomes something the awareness is rooted in. And the mantra seems to be chanting itself. And you're just there. But that's a, it's a very powerful sequence to get yourself there. So yeah, those are, those are wonderful, wonderful tools to um, give yourself a little bit of a, a head start catalyst into meditation rather than I'm on the computer, I'm on the smartphone, I'm doing things, plop, I'm going to sit down and meditate. It also works. It just, it takes a little bit more time to come into center. 